Okay, welcome back everyone to the Double Down WNBA podcast. Eric Nemchak here alongside Stephen Trinkwald, as always, and we have a lot of free agency news to discuss. Stephen, how are you feeling? I am as good as can be expected, Eric. Well, that I gathered. Um, yeah, some exciting news on, on the basketball front. Uh, as someone who goes to a lot of Liberty games, uh, as we'll get to, um, some uh, some teams that I think we are really excited about, some other ones that maybe are a little confusing the way that, that they're headed, but um, excited to talk about it. Yeah, so this is uh, the first week that we're talking about free agency as in its in all of its glory. Um, signings started on February 1st, so we obviously have a lot of content to go over. We're probably not going to be going into these as uh, in-depth because we'd like to save that for the actual team outlooks that we do prior to each season. But we're going to go over as many transactions as we can. First, a little bit of uh, housekeeping here. Whenever we bring up the term training camp contract, for a zero to two-year vet, that's $62,285. For a three-year vet or more, that is $74,305. According to Richard Cohen, obviously her hoop stats, tremendously helpful as always with their salary information. We literally could not do this without them. Also across the timeline has been an invaluable resource for uh, keeping up with the transactions because starting February 1st, man, they, they were coming hot and heavy, you know? Yeah. And just to expound on that a little bit more. So basically a training camp contract is a, a player signing a one-year deal unprotected at that player's minimum, whether they're, you know, zero to two years or three plus years. So um, for every player, it's a little bit different. It doesn't mean they're not going to make the team. It doesn't mean they're guaranteed to make the team. It You know, a lot of these players probably are locks for the roster that they're on, but they are signing for their minimum for one year. So it's still dubbed a training camp contract. That's literally just the terminology. So please don't get mad or offended or otherwise upset when we say your player, favorite player is on a training camp contract. So um, anything else uh, we need to touch on before we hit the signings here? I don't think so. Let's get into it. I mean, the place to start obviously is uh, the two all league players that since we have last spoke have announced that they'll be joining the New York Liberty, Eric, uh, Brianna Stewart, and Courtney Vandersloot. I think there's a lot of dominoes still to fall just in terms of the size of their contract. And, um, you know, if if New York is going to have to do maybe one or two even sign-in trades to accommodate their, their contract requirements, or if, you know, New York as it stands is going to be able to kind of keep Benajah Laney and, and Steph Dolson and um, some of the other larger contracts that they have on the books here reporting indicates that at least Brianna Stewart is you know willing to take significantly less for her WNBA salary to kind of make everything work and you know again we'll have to see how it all shakes out but very exciting starting five as it stands and you know two franchises in Seattle and Chicago that are losing their franchise player Mm -hmm. yeah they're hurting right now to say the least but yeah Stu York is in full effect here um, very talented starting lineup, as you alluded to. So we're looking at Vandersloot, Sabrina Ionescu, Benajah Laney, Brianna Stewart, and John Cole Jones, which we discussed in our last episode. So, yeah, I think you, you said you mentioned dominoes falling. I think Stewart was probably the biggest domino, if you could call it that, to fall this offseason. And she was kind of, you know, I don't want to say holding things up because it was announced shortly after, uh, you know, February 1st, the start of February 1st, that she was going to New York. But, uh, I mean, but it's, it's no secret that a lot of these players are making up their minds before right. February first, before they can officially sign deals. Right. Um, so we were playing, uh, we were playing the game of deciphering emojis on Twitter and trying to figure out where she was going to go. Um, 
I don't know if, if New York was, were you surprised by this? I was a little bit surprised to be honest with you. Really? Maybe okay. that's because Eric, we are um, very similar in terms of our personality types and kind of uh, expecting the worst in, in, in a lot of ways. Um, that's for, how you go through life, man. Yeah, that's exactly. how you gotta do so, it. I mean, especially when, you know, it seemed like her free agency decision was tied to Courtney Vandersloot. I did kind of think that, you know, maybe Seattle just made a little bit more basketball sense. And obviously there seems to be a lot of, uh, a lot going into it outside of just the basketball court, but yeah, on the court, I think they'll be fine in New York as well. But, you know, when I was just kind of walking through it in my head, uh, you know, Seattle just slightly made a little bit more of intuitive sense from a basketball perspective, if nothing else. So Definitely surprised by Brianna Stewart coming to New York and very, very surprised about Courtney Vandersloot, especially after... Uh, there the, is a little bit of a hesitation there. Yeah, the, the leak um, <laughs> that had to be retracted about Courtney Vandersloot deciding to go to Seattle and then maybe she didn't decide that. Uh, so, you know, who knows what, what her thought process was really like. It. You wanted me to say a few words about Courtney Vandersloot, correct? Well, I mean, I, I figured you would want to. We've, um, you know, you, you had a very... Very nice monologue after the Sky won their their championship, oh, Eric. Um, and I know, as you had mentioned on Twitter, that you know you, you've never really known a Sky team without Courtney Vandersloot. So um, no, if, I literally have not. Um, yeah, please. So I got season tickets. When did I actually get season tickets? So I've been going to Sky games since 2012. I've had season tickets more or less since then. Um, that was Vandersloot's second WNBA season. So I literally have not known a Sky team without Courtney Vandersloot on it. I think for most of the Sky's franchise history, they have been defined as the team that can't keep superstar players, um, as we've seen in several iterations. Just a lot of uncertainty around the franchise in most of their most of its seasons, besides 2021, obviously. They've been a franchise characterized by star players leaving, uh, coaches leaving under strange circumstances, arenas changing, and just in general, not really being able to get over that hump. 2021 changed that. 2022 was a very fun season as a Sky fan. Now that's almost back to square one now, but the one constant since 2011, or in my case, 2012, has been Courtney Vandersloot. She's a player who, you know, and I don't want to say this just as a Sky fan, I think a lot of fans of other teams or more impartial fans would agree with me that she's a player who's been at the top of her, at one of the best at her position for longer than she's actually been acknowledged as such. I think for a while there, she was one of the more underappreciated players in the league. Maybe it had something to do with Chicago, really not earning that respect as a franchise yet. I don't know. But uh, yeah, I mean, she was Miss Chicago Sky. Um, that's the best way I could put it. You thought of Courtney Vandersloot throughout all these years when you brought up the Chicago Sky. Yeah, I mean, you could say, okay, Elena Deldon in the Chicago Sky, or Sylvia Fowles in the Chicago Sky, or Candace Parker in the Chicago Sky. The one constant was Courtney Vandersloot. She is one of the best point guards I've ever seen. I am really bummed that it came to this, although I'm not necessarily surprised. And let me tell you, like, she is one of the easiest players to root for in the league. As, as someone who has seen a lot of players come through town and leave town, no hard feelings here whatsoever, bar none at all. Um, and I'll certainly be rooting for her to succeed in New York. So yeah, maybe not individually the the best player to ever play for the Chicago Sky, but certainly the greatest player in franchise history. Yes, um, yes, absolutely. So and also, you know, if we we just had a, a little bit less on the agenda today I, I would actually like to kind of just dive a little bit more into just the evolution of Courtney Vandersloot as a player because the player that I know Courtney Vandersloot to be and newer WNBA fans know Courtney Vandersloot to be like not really the same player that was playing alongside Sylvia Fowles no. and 
Elena Deladon, like completely, you know, she, she just didn't really have kind of like the free reign of the offense, I think, back in those days. And uh, Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think it was actually under Amber Stocks that Courtney Vandersloot was officially unleashed, if you could say that. Um, I think during the Sylvia Fowles, Elena Deladon years, she was always thought of as the, you know, like the steady hand, like the second or third best offensive player on the team, which is, of course, still a good thing to have. Um, but then when, when they kind of left town and the more Vandersloot-centric offense was implemented, she started putting up those massive assist numbers. Obviously, she's the only player in league history to average 10 assists per game over the course of a season. She set the record for assists total in a season and then broke that record. So, I mean, it, there's no flukes there. You know, you, you could say it's it's system point guard, it's, it's, it's this, it's that, but the way she was able to elevate her team on so many different rosters under so many different coaches in so many different really eras of the WNBA, it speaks for itself. It's, um, you know, I, I don't think you can make any case against Vandersloot for being like a top five point guard all time in league history. Uh, and she's, again, she's just adored among Sky fans. You can't, see, you will not hear a single person say a single bad thing about Courtney Vandersloot off the court either. So yeah, going to miss her a lot. But like I said, um, it happens. I, I don't fault her for making this this decision at all. And if she ends up winning a title this year with New York, obviously very, very early. I'm not saying she will. But if she ends up winning another title, there will be no one happier than me. So let's uh, transition to to the New York side of it. You know, without kind of really diving into, as you were talking about, like bigger kind of team outlook type topics here. Like at first blush, just, you know, looking at this roster and the natural comparison of Las Vegas um, do you have any questions or concerns about kind of how this team is, is built? You know, how do they kind of stack up against Vegas, you know, without kind of seeing anything on the court yet, just on paper? Well, I think uh, perimeter defense is going to be my number one concern for this team. And here's an, here's something you mentioned about Vandersloot that, you know, some people may not agree with. I think she's an okay perimeter defender. She's okay. She, she's definitely improved throughout her career. Her first few seasons, not great. But I think for her position right now, she's average. Uh, Sabrina Ionescu, not average, not a good perimeter defender. Benaja Laney, I think her reputation as a defensive stopper has kind of preceded her in the past couple seasons, at least since being, since coming to the Liberty. Um, maybe that'll change with a little bit less of an offensive workload and maybe. just a different team dynamic she can get back to. You know, that that's really how she stuck around in the league for a while. Yeah, yeah. Backward defense, uh, I, I the first thing I would say is, is lack of depth. Um, I know we just saw Vegas kind of just cruise their way to a t- WNBA title with like six and a half rotation players. But and that I, does... I think there's some some overlapping similarities, right? They're, both teams are basically playing with two starting point guards, so you can kind of you know stagger that a little bit. But I think the big difference between Vegas last year and New York this year is that Vegas at least had like one, uh, you know, as much as we have not been the biggest Kia Stokes fan, like one legitimate bench big and one legitimate bench perimeter player that can well which of these liberty players bench players currently on their roster is going to come off the bench and make an immediate positive impact kayla thornton right and then dolson i would say probably you know possibly uh, but basically you know i guess my my big question about that is like you could say that this team's four either their best or their most promising bench players are all you know, basically should be playing the four or five. They don't really have kind of a true proven perimeter bench player or a true like high upside perimeter bench player. Yeah. So that, you know, could be a little bit of a concern, but they, they certainly have the top end talent to, to make up for it, I, I'd imagine. Yeah, and that's, at the end of the day, that's going to win you more games, nine out of 10, than a quote-unquote deeper team, you know, at least as 
I think death is commonly defined among fans. You don't usually see a championship winning team needing to go 10 or 11 players deep in a playoff series. And New York obviously right now has the, the horses to win a championship, provided everyone stays healthy and everyone gels together. And that's the other thing. Like, it's not like these players in the starting lineup are, you know, jigsaw puzzle pieces that can't fit together. Like you mentioned, you've got two of the best playmakers in the league in Vandersloot and UNESCO. Brianna Stewart and John Cole Jones, I see no reason why they, they can't coexist. Like, if Benajelani is your fifth best offensive player, you're pretty well off, I would say. Yeah, I, I mean, there might be a little bit of, I guess, more concern on, on my end about kind of how how some of those pieces fit together. Particularly, you know, like you said, the backcourt defense uh, is going to be a big question. Um, I agree with you, Vandersloot is not terrible, um, but also not, you know, a value-added defender. And Sabrina certainly is probably closer to the terrible category, but... Um, they also have, you know, probably two of the five best defensive players in the league at, at their two big spots. So, but yeah, the, the Laney part of it, I'm, I'm so interested in just kind of what her game looks like. We, we talked so long ago when she signed here about, you know, what her role on a really good team would look like. Basically, if everything from that bubble season was real, except for her outside shooting. And that's kind of how it's been looking the last couple of years. You know, she's, she shot a le- uh, a lot less reliably than you know that historically friendly shooting environment that was the bubble. So maybe some cleaner looks change that with uh, with all the talent that they have. But um, yeah. she could get healthy again too. You know she's that been dealing help. with injuries yeah. the past couple seasons as well. So the LA Sparks have been doing, I think, a pretty decent job in free agency. Uh, they signed Ezra Stevens, two years protected salary, um, upwards of one hundred ninety thousand dollars. They also signed Stephanie Talbot to a two year deal protected upwards of $112,000. Brought back Lexi Brown on two years, $78,000 and $80,000 unprotected. Laisha Clarendon, this is literally just uh, just announced, so we don't know the contract details, but Laisha Clarendon back in the league on the Sparks. Kurt Miller's going to have himself a squad, it looks like. Yeah, LA kind of feeling like the, the darling of the WNBA offseason. A lot of people really liking what LA is doing, and they really haven't made kind of like that head-scratching move that, that LA is so well known for in past off seasons, uh, a new regime, obviously, but, you know, I think the big one here obviously is Azra Stevens, a player who, uh, many are projecting stardom to, uh, as kind of, uh, retaking a full-time starting role playing next to, you know, Neko Gumike, who is a, a superstar in her own right and a much friendlier, uh, environment than, than past sparks environments. I mean, what do you think about just like the combo of, Stevens and Neko Gumike playing together. I think there's a lot of defensive versatility, first and foremost. Uh, the 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 points about Azure Stevens being a budding star, I think I might have to pump the brakes a little bit on that. She was, in, in her defense, um, a can't-miss prospect coming out of college. She was the latest in the quote-unquote unicorn mold, and I do have some issues with that term as it is applied to basketball players, but that's another rant for another day. She had a lot of injuries, like in her first three seasons in the league, her first couple in Dallas and then her first in Chicago. And I think she's just been trying to find herself since then. Um, But, you know, I mean, the results just don't speak to her being a superstar caliber player. She's She's a great player. I think she's a tremendous player, and I'm very sad that this guy are losing her. But is she the best player on a good team? I don't think so. Yeah, I would agree with you. You That's not a dig. That's not a dig. Uh... It's just, just how it is. 
she was immensely important to that Sky Championship, yes. I think. Um, and to your point about health, uh, a player who you know wasn't even playing games by the start of that season, James Wade was extremely cautious with her health, and that proved to be the right call as he was able to really ramp up her minutes in the playoffs in that championship season. But, you know, she was the fifth best player on that title team. She was the third best big, in my opinion, on uh, a semifinals team last year. You know, she's a really, really good player. I I don't think, you know, signing Azra Stevens brings you into kind of a new tier as a as a team all by itself and with just that signing. But, you know, she's she's good. She's not as efficient as some of the best bigs. I think she's got more of that kind of versatility to her game offensively maybe than defensively where, you know, she has great length and some great playmaking instincts defensively, but it's not like, you know, she's Neka Gumake moving laterally or anything like that. She she has very specific uh, limitations, I think, on the on the defensive end, but she's a very good player, very valuable on both ends, I think, and LA is going to be a better team for signing her, for sure. Okay, let's talk about these these other signings for LA. Stephanie Talbot, I think a player who maybe we're a little bit higher on than many other fans, but I think she's just solid as all get out, to be honest. Um, both her and Katie Lou Samuelson reunited. We'll see uh, who wins the position battle there. But, you know, Lexi Brown earning a two-year contract. Honestly, a little surprised she's only making... 78,000 this year because she was a very effective player in 2022 and then Laisha Clarendon really good to see them back in the league yeah I mean these are three more great signings I think in my opinion for just kind of balancing out like a really well-rounded roster Clarendon if healthy gives this team just one more option besides Kennedy Carter of somebody who can really get dribble penetration really put pressure at the rim and kind of make plays for others while still being able to, you know, finish around the basket and score efficiently from two, uh, the two floor spaces around them who, you know, you don't want them to do kind of too much with the basketball in their hands and too much creation off the bounce in Talbot and Brown, but they can play good defense for you, both of them. They can guard multiple positions, both of them, and and they're going to knock down their threes for the most part. So yeah, really just a much I mean, honestly, this is even a much different ecosystem than what Kurt Miller is used to, I think, the last yeah. few years. And that's one thing I wanted to bring up. I, I know you've kind of been down on Kurt Miller the past few seasons with uh, his uh, suboptimal offensive strategies in Connecticut. But, I mean, he has not coached a roster like this in the WNBA since he was hired back in uh, 2017. So the one thing I'm worried about is uh, he doesn't seem too excited about Kennedy Carter. He was asked about her, and the first thing he said is, well, she's under contract. That's not the most and she's talented he also and said- she's talented yes i two for two on that you know kurt that's I, I agree with both of those things uh she is definitely under contract and she's definitely talented but where does she fit in it, it does seem like a rush like this is going to need at least one guard who can drive efficient offense right yeah and you know hopefully they have two now with the signing elijah clarendon so i mean obviously clarendon missed last year and we don't really know his health status or but I guess the other thing is that Clarendon did sign with Athletes Unlimited so we'll at least have a little bit of an idea of you know that's a good point what they look like by the time the season rolls around but yeah that that's about I guess what we have to say about that right you want to move on to the next team here okay let's move on to Washington another team that has been pretty active signed Brittany Sykes for three years protected starting at $190,000 in the first two seasons and going up to 195000 in the third season. Also bringing back Shatoria Walker-Kimbrough for two years, starting at 95000 First year protected, second year unprotected. Uh, bringing back Christy Tolliver, joining the Mystics after the Dallas Mavericks season comes to an end. Remember, she's an assistant coach in Dallas um, for the Mavericks. 
signing a lot of bigs. So we've got Tiana Hawkins, Alicia Jenkins, Stephanie Jones, all in training camp contracts, and recently, today, acquiring the rights to Amanda Zowie B, who's expected to sign a one-year deal. I don't think that's actually out yet, but they said uh, she's expected to sign a one-year deal for 2024 and 2025 second-round picks. A lot to unpack here, maybe not all of it really significant to this upcoming season, but let's start with Brittany Sykes. This is a significant pay raise. I mean, to me, in a lot of ways, this is the opposite of the Sparks offseason. A lot of kind of high-profile moves that I don't really think are going to really move the needle for this team. Well, how, how does this signing in particular address what they were bad at last season? Because they're already a really good defensive team. I think what it addresses is a second on-ball playmaker, someone that can just dribble and pass when Natasha Cloud is off the court. That was a real need for them. Like Rui Mashida was just not a WNBA caliber point guard, unfortunately. And Brittany Sykes, you know, she's not going to drive your offense to 100 offensive rating as the lead initiator, but she can at least do that thing uh, okay, I guess. Not not really that good, in my opinion, and, and the numbers bear that out. And it's been a few years, you know, of her trying to do that type of thing. And, you know, it looks good when it's rolling and when she's hitting her mid-ranger and stuff like that. But I guess if, if you just needed a little bit more playmaking with Cloud on the bench, I could see why you would, you know, talk yourself into Sykes. But, like, when you just get up against the best teams in the playoffs, their five best players just can't play together. You have Cloud and Sykes, neither of whom can really space the floor or shoot the three outside of, you know, maybe Cloud will have one hot game for you where she hits a couple in, in a playoff game. But game over game, you having those two non-shooting wings and Shakira Austin, who we both love, but is is a non-shooting center, like the floor is going to get pretty tight. You're relying a lot on Elena Deladon. And- Just like last season. Yeah. Um, now they still have a few other moves to make here uh, with their roster. But yeah, I agree with that. I, I think Sykes, you know, I, I think Alicia Clark was a little bit of a disappointment for them. I mean, she played, she did Alicia Clark things, but she didn't make that impact that both of us were expecting her to make. I mean, she certainly wasn't like Seattle Storm Alicia Clark. Right, right. right. And I get it. You know, she was coming back from a foot injury. She's getting up there in age. I I understand that. Sykes with this, you know, three-year protected deal. Here's a question for you. I mean, a two-part question. One, how much longer is Elena Deladine going to play? Two, is the post-Elena Deladine era going to be Sykes, Cloud, and Austin and Atkins, you know, like, like after, if Deladon, you know, retires in the coming years, which I have nothing to, to suggest that she will, but just, just throwing this out there, where are they going to get their offense from then? If they're already so dependent on Deladon for offense, I mean, this is the thing when we're talking about when we're giving this, these protected contracts, long protected salary contracts to players who, you know, may or may not be able to drive efficient offense for a team. And for Sykes specifically, she just really seems to kind of double down on their strength a little bit more. Pardon the pun. I just realized that's the name of our show. But she just kind of seems to fit into their strengths a little bit more than really address any of their weaknesses, which was, you know, offensive creators. And, and I don't think they they really have that. And, you know, the, the numbers, again, they kind of bear that out. She was in the 11th percentile in spot ups, 14th percentile coming off screens, 12th percentile in handoffs. She was about average as a pick-and-roll ball handler, but about average as a pick-and-roll ball handler is 0.75 points per possession. So, like, that's that's not driving highly efficient offense. You know, the one thing that kind of surprised me just looking at her numbers year over year is how inactive she is as a cutter. 20- and that's interesting because a player like her, you would you would expect her to be able to get a lot of 
off-ball basket cuts. Yeah, I mean, if she cut the way that, you know, Shakira Austin cuts, another player who stands in the perimeter and has shooting limitations, like maybe that's a little bit more of a valuable offensive player, but maybe this system can kind of improve and increase her cutting. Uh, You know, she's obviously extremely athletic. When she gets around the rim, she can finish at the rim very well, but, you know, it hasn't really been there for her, and, and we'll see with maybe more of a, a, a modern offensive ecosystem if, if that's something that we see a little bit more out of her. But I don't know. This this was not a signing that really – I know that she's extremely popular online, but I, I don't really think this moves the needle for them as a, a championship contender. Does the Christy Tolliver signing address this need for a secondary ball handler or no? Um, as much as I wish it, it did, you know, they certainly need the things that Christy Tolliver used to be able to do at a high level. Her first stint in – Washington. Yes, her first stint in Washington and kind of what we were hoping that she would bring back to that core in LA that she won a title with. But, you know, she just hasn't been the same since that 2019 season. And aside from just her ability, her availability hasn't been the same. She's played 44% of her team's games in the two active seasons in LA. So not even counting the the season that she sat out, obviously we uh, don't begrudge her for that, of course. An understandable decision. Um, but, you know, she didn't crack 20 games in either of those second two seasons, uh, those final two seasons in L.A. And just feel like she she just kind of never got back to where she was after she sat out her age 33 season. You know, that that's a little bit on the older side to miss a full season. And she just turned 36 about a week or so ago. Looks like she'll be the, the third oldest player in the league this year behind Tarasi and, and Candace Parker, who have just been producing at a much higher level than Christy Tolliver the last couple of years, unfortunately. I have concerns about her ability to hang athletically now at this point in her career. After the injuries, given the advanced age, you know, she was never the quickest player, and I think was always kind of a liability on defense. But I wonder if now she's just going to be you know, unplayable on that end of the play. Now, of course, they do have enough other good defenders to kind of hide her, if you want to call it that. But uh, is she going to be able to get separation on offense? You know, we love her jump shot versatility, but this this just looks to me like a, a coach on the floor type of move, you know? Yeah, unfortunately, I, I agree with you. And it obviously doesn't help that she'll, she'll miss training camp and she'll basically come into the season, you know, about halfway through or so like she did last year. You know, again, don't begrudge her for kind of exploring some other opportunities in her life, but we're talking about, you know, how much she's going to help this team on the floor. And I think, unfortunately, the answer is not that much. Is there anything to make of this uh, glut of training camp signings of bigs or what? Because they just signed Zowie B today, or they just acquired the rights to Zowie B today. Yeah, I mean, I would kind of like the Amanda Zowie B acquisition if you were going to tell me that she's kind of competing for that fourth big spot with with these other players, Hawkins and and Jenkins and Stephanie Jones. But, you know, two second-round picks so far out in the future, you know, that 2025 second-round pick, you know, Elena Deladon will be 35 by then, basically. Uh, You know, that, that could be a pretty good pick. So it, it kind of feels like, you know, they brought her in to make the team, unfortunately, for, for Jenkins and, and Jones. And, you know, I, maybe Hawkins just still makes yeah. every Every WMA team likes to carry five bigs for whatever reason. So one of those training camp contracts might still end up making it, I guess. It's, you know, when, when before the salary cap, uh, before the last, uh, before the current CBA, I should say, was ratified, that it, it made a little more sense to me. But now that no team can carry 12 players anymore, like the five big thing just... It doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but whatever. Go ahead. I mean, I don't really have any. I don't really think that Amanda IB is necessarily going to to help them. I think this was, you know, you can just say that second round picks are not that valuable, but I think this was a little bit of a, an overpay for a player that has looked to me as like 
you know, kind of barely playable as a backup center in EuroLeague. I don't, I don't think I really have any other thoughts. Does this foreshadow my shines, Alan Trader, no? Because I know they've been trying to move her, but with that contract, I'd imagine it's difficult. Yeah, it kind of feels like if they they had an opportunity to do that they would have done that already but i mean even as as much as we have not always been the biggest maisha heinz allen fans i think she impacts winning basketball more than amanda zowie b and more than tiana hawkins and and more than stephanie jones so i would i guess if this is kind of what your roster is going to look like I, i wouldn't you know be be too like you know giving up anything to kind of get off of her contract or anything like that uh you know heinz allen and, and austin and sykes and cloud all playing together you know you're, you're never going to be able to score but um i still think neither she is could, the other team <laughs> neither is the yeah. other team that's right it, it, maybe it, you'll, you'll play to a zero zero tie until dylan don comes back in the there league. you go there you go um how about your chicago sky eric it's been quite an off season um i think chicago has certainly made some moves to keep themselves competitive and if nothing else they certainly have assigning Courtney Williams to a one-year deal, protected salary of one hundred and sixty thousand. Izzy Harrison also signed for one hundred sixty thousand over two years, which is a protected deal, and Elizabeth Williams a two-year protected salary, one hundred thirty-five thousand each year. It took a sky the sky a little while to make these signings relative to what the the rest of the league was doing. It just seemed like they were you know losing and losing and losing people and then i mean okay. it felt like six teams basically had full rosters until the sky signed anybody yeah yeah they were kind of in a competition for the st- uh, with the storm uh, as you know which team is going to blink first and and make these signings and it was chicago you know at first glance it kind of looked like they were panic signings you know like chicago trying to reload rather than rebuild you know we got to stay competitive we got to get that seventh or eighth seed just make the playoffs you never know what will happen rather than you know just kind of taking the l like seattle has which we'll get to later, obviously. I don't really hate any of these contracts, though. At least, you know, I mean, they locked Courtney Williams in for one year. You know, that's not too bad, I don't think. Izzy Harrison, two years. Elizabeth Williams, two years. That front court is going to be a clunky offensive fit, in my opinion. I'm yeah, not sure yeah, how I it's going to... You know, individually, none of these are like, oh, I don't know about that. They're but... not going to be like albatross contracts, and they're probably not going to be... Like, here's the thing. is this? Are these contracts going to guarantee a Chicago Sky playoff appearance this year? I don't know. I don't think you can make that guarantee. I mean, Eric, it's just kind of giving off like 2021 Sparks vibes where you can sort of, you know, compete for the playoffs throughout the entire season. You know, you're not the fever. You're not the the dream from that year or something, but you're, you're also not putting yourself in a position to really lose out on the hope of one of those uh, top tier draft prospects. So, you know, you can kind of sell the fans that you're fighting for playoff position and, you're not really doing any kind of long-term damage to the, the health of the franchise and bring in a real blue chip player for the future. That's a good way of putting it. That's a good way of putting it because uh, as a fan and people can get mad at me for this, that's, that's completely okay. When it was announced that, you know, Stevens wasn't coming back after Vandersloot wasn't coming back after Quigley wasn't coming back after Parker wasn't coming back. The first thing was on my mind, lottery balls. Oh yeah. We're getting Caitlin, Caitlin Clark, 2024, baby. Uh, then they made these signings. I'm like, okay, <laughs> they're trying to compete. Uh, but like you said, but then you look at how these pieces all fit together, and I've got questions, Stephen. I've got a lot of questions. Who's creating shots on this team? How are they going to manufacture efficient offense? Who is defending against the league's better bigs? Elizabeth Williams, a great help defender. Not a lot of size in the front court right now for Chicago. Who is going to be shooting threes? I mean, these are three fairly high-profile signings, but taken together, I don't see how this is going to be like a 
surefire playoff appearance. You know what I mean? Yeah, it kind of reads ninth in offense, ninth in defense to me, probably. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the the rest of the roster. You, Chicago still a little uh, open when it comes to their their roster spots. You know, I, I wrote this down before they signed a couple of training camp players. That's cool. Uh, but they had they had eight players before the the two training camp contracts that will get to but that included julie aleman and, and uh, lee yuru so neither of whom are going to play we don't think yeah uh, yeah exactly uh for for different reasons so you know i guess what what are you kind of hoping for for you know just chicago filling out the the back end of this roster here because uh, i think there's still some spots yeah another point guard obviously um a lot of people are pining for dana evans to kind of get the keys to the car here Should i wouldn't know? be I, I wouldn't be mad uh let's not go there <laughs> Dana Evans and then Fiona Fitzgerald, who was signed to a training camp contract today of, of Temple fame. Uh, I liked her a lot in college. She was signed and cut by the Connecticut Sun like three times, I think. I think she can hoop, but, you know, I've obviously seeing her in full season WNBA capacity. Haven't seen it yet. Um, do, you, do you have like a quick like 20 second scout on her? Like what's, what's her game look? The only thing I remember, like the last time I watched it was a very long time ago. And this was, of course, against mid-major collegiate competition. But I, I remember her being really quick. Um, she can get to the rim very easily. Three-point shot, maybe a little inconsistent. But she's one of those guards that doesn't mind getting in there for rebounds and, you know, taking the rebound herself and just pushing it up the floor. So she could be a good pace point guard. But again, that was a long time ago. We'll see how she fits in to a WMA team, if she makes a team. You know, these these uh, training camp contracts, Fiona Fitzgerald and Robin Parks, um, small forward, we don't know if they're intended to make the team or if they're just training camp bodies. You know, some teams like just like to get their training camp rosters filled out uh, before anything else happens. So we'll see. Um, they have yet to bring back or they have yet to sign Rebecca Gardner, which I'm getting a little concerned about. But they need another shooter. I mean, you look at this roster. Who, who is shooting threes besides Dana Evans? A copper, maybe. That's that's a, a good question. Yeah, there's not really anybody to. Uh... Uh, who who is making plays and who is shooting threes? This offense is really gonna be clunky. Maybe a big who can shoot threes, but I I don't know. Yeah, and uh, this is looking right now. Steve, this is looking like a, a first round and second round pick, both being rostered, in my opinion. Okay. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that. Do they? Because like, look at the sale. The, the one thing we haven't ruled out, by the way, which we need to talk about, is um, Vandersloot being a part of a sign and trade to New York. Because the way the sky's salary cap is set up, like they still have some money to spend. They're not going to need to fill out their roster with second and third round draft picks. So yeah, a lot of stuff still yet to happen. As we'll get to, uh, not not a lot out remaining there for impact for Eugens, but should we move on? Yeah, let's move on to Dallas. Tier McCowan, back to Dallas. Big contract. Three years, starting at 190000 ending at 201000 in her third season. Also signing Crystal Dangerfield for two years, unprotected, starting at 80000 Also finishing it at 80000 Um Signing Kalani Brown to a training camp contract, and that's it. Yeah, I don't, I don't know about this uh, McCown. Obviously, T.R. McCown was extremely good towards the back end of the season. She really kind of helped propel Dallas to the sixth seed, um, which is a pretty high watermark for, for the Dallas Wings uh, as far as since they've been the Dallas Wings at least. But again, it, it's not really T.R. McCown's fault, but just the the totality of kind of what they've done. It, two years left on... Uh, Natasha Howard's Supermax contract, Arike just getting to her Supermax extension, and now three years at near max money, basically, for Tierra McCowan. You know, I guess it's better than just kind of continuing to kind of cycle through players and not really having any direction, but it's not necessarily the, dir- the direction I would go to. And perhaps it's unfair to make this comparison, uh, but even if Brianna Stewart signs her her Supermax in a sign-in trade and 
with New York. Dallas will be paying McCowan, Howard, and Enrique more than New York is paying Benajah Laney, John Quell Jones, and Brianna Stewart. So just in terms of resource allocation for this to, I mean, what what is the absolute ceiling of this team, Eric? The four seed, maybe, if, if everything goes well and, you know, they can just kind of balance great defensive playmaking around Arike and Tier McCowan, and those two are just driving hyper-efficient offense like they never have before. They can get to the four seed and not really have a chance at being competitive in the second round. Well, the one thing I wanted to mention here, and this isn't about Dallas specifically, but if uh, if you're listening and you're saying, oh, Stephen, you know, why are you saying that, why are you caring so much about players' salaries? They deserve this. Absolutely, they deserve it. You know, we're, we're not going to say that any player is overpaid. Um, we're just looking at this in the context of the salary cap that every team has to play under and the guaranteed salaries. That right. May or may I not, mean, it, if you just look yeah. at these players' EuroLeague salaries, you know, you, you know that they are underpaid relative to what they are doing yes. as professional athletes. Yes. Um, but there is still a hard cap in this league, and it's been uh, extremely hard for some teams to uh, build competitively within that hard cap. And for a team like the Dallas Wings, who are not that's, that's what we're questioning here, yeah, the, the healthiest franchise in terms of you know everything that that's going on with their market and stuff like that. I mean, I, I'm just not sure if this is going to result in the type of winning basketball that the Dallas Wings think it will. Well, we will find out. We will find out. I mean, nice to see Dangerfield staying in the league, right? Yeah, I mean, Dallas was under no obligation to really give her any more than her minimum, and it, it's nice to kind of see some investment in Dangerfield, who had some really nice moments in. Honestly, Indiana before she got cut after just a few games and then New York helping kind of, you know, steady the tide um, in the season there and had some really big moments for uh, New York really late in the season as well as they were making their playoff push. So good for Dangerfield. We're, we're happy and then Kalani that. Brown, you want to talk about somebody who's playing well overseas in Israel. So a lot of people are very high on Kalani Brown. We'll see if she can. I mean, this this front court rotation in Dallas, though, I mean, they've got so much invested in Howard and McCowan. Sabali probably not best utilized at the three. You would think that they still want to try to get something out of a queer and or Charlie Collier, so we'll see what Kalani Brown's roles, uh, Kalani Brown's role looks like. I mean, I still don't know about that. Um, I mean, maybe it's just a player that they want to bring in to give McCowan someone to compete with. Like nobody else on their roster is going to give McCowan. Any oh, kind that's of a great point. And they're like, yeah, and they're both in the same draft class. Too. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Uh, should we move on to to Connecticut here? The next thing we have on our list. Yeah, um, not much to write home here about the Sun, at least since the last time we talked about them. Uh, they brought back Natisha Heidemann for two years, unprotected, 120000 each year. Um, signed Joyner Holmes and Makia Herbert-Harrigan to training camp contracts. Uh, training camp contracts. Um, Bree Jones, still cord, still unsigned. have no clue what's going on there. Uh, for for not, Heidemann, another restricted free agent coming in, I think, well below... Some, why, was your, why was your contract unprotected? Some... And her salary is, is much lower than, I think, some unrestricted free agents that I think she's just a much better player than. Uh, it kind of goes back to Tier McCowan, you know, in her market as another restricted free agent. Like, the, the offer sheets are just not out there for restricted free agents. So, you know, Dallas, um, they, they identified their player in McCowan that they wanted to keep, but maybe they, you know, could have had McCowan find that contract elsewhere. Because, um, you know... Heidemann and, and some others that there's just not big restricted free agent money out there for these is, teams. It's, is, it's, is, is the hard cap kind of scaring teams away from making offer sheets? Do you think, or maybe it's just the kind of waiting period that, that you have. Um, I mean, I, I don't know, honestly, it, you know, maybe they just don't want to go through the effort of, of signing a player just to not be able to, to keep them. 
who really knows like what's going on. But it's it's a multi-year trend now of restricted free agents. Basically, the ones that are getting paid are only getting paid from their incumbent teams, and the rest of them, it seems like their market's being repressed a little bit. So, yeah, interesting. Uh, Heidemann, I think, is a much better player than than her salary. Um, you know, just a very valuable floor spacer. She's she's a dead bang shooter, uh, and was extremely efficient this year in a role that many would have said that she was overtaxed for as a starting point guard. So, yeah. I, I still don't understand why her deal is unprotected, though, given how many teams are just handing these protected contracts out like Halloween candy. I, I, I don't know. but um, And Bree Jones, still unsigned. Maybe they're just trying to find a nice balance of, of a multi-year contract that, that works out for them, or maybe they're just seeing what else is out there still. You know, it's so hard, I think, even at this point, weeks after the John Quill Jones trade at this point, to identify like what is Connecticut's direction for this offseason I think we're still kind of as a collective unsure about what Connecticut wants to do mm-hmm. yeah okay moving on uh Las Vegas Aces as if the rich could not get richer they signed Alicia Clark for two years on a protected uh, deal worth 110,000 each year um signing Kayla George Australian center uh for the vet minimum but protected um and then training camp contracts Alexis Peterson and Courtney Range not much to talk about here, I don't think. Like, Alicia Clark, obviously a tremendous signing for them. But the second year is a little surprising, I think. Yeah. You know, just because she's she was not the same player, like we talked about in the Washington section, as she was in her heyday. And health is, is always a concern. Uh, you know, I know she's she's back to playing overseas, which she had in the last few years. So it feels like, you know, maybe she just feels like she's in a good place with her body and everything like that. Um, but she's... If Alicia Clark is who Alicia Clark has always been, like she's really going to help this team and gives them, you know, some Jackie Young insurance and some flexibility to to go to some different lineups. So, I mean, a great signing if she's anything like we expect her to be. Yeah, I agree. Now, my question is, why are you protecting a veteran minimum contract for Kayla George? Kayla George, yeah, who who last played in the league in 2018 2018. on uh, one of my favorite bad teams of all time, Eric, that that Dallas Wings team. uh, Well, there there are a lot of players named Kayla on that team, I believe. They all (laughs) spelled their name differently. Yeah. Um, That's the one thing I remember about them. For Kayla George, she's, you know, a WNBL star in her right and a high-profile player on the Australian national team. I'm sure it was just, you know, I'm not going to make the trip over there if I have to worry about making the team. Like, I, you know what you're getting from me. I'm 33 years old. I've been playing professional basketball for a long time. Like, if I'm going to make the trip, I'm going to make the team. So who else are you going to use this protected slot on? Just protect my contract. Okay. I mean, that would certainly explain why they parted with the rights to Amanda Zowie B so quickly. Yeah, not I, much to say about this I one. wonder which player will be better this year, Kayla George or Amanda Zowie. Okay, that is one thing uh, we will write down for things to watch. You have anything right. on uh, Alexis Peterson or Courtney Range? Courtney Range is a name I literally never heard until she. Yeah, comes in. me neither. Me neither. Uh, Alexis Peterson, somebody who I was a big fan of her game in college. I think she's a really dynamic lead guard, but I, for whatever reason, just one of those collegiate stars who hasn't been able to stick for one reason or the other. I'm, I'm not sure if her three point shot. She's got kind of a labored looking three point release, but she's really shifty off the dribble and she can get to the rim. So I think size is probably a concern for her. But I mean, if you look at this team. Who is her backup point guard? She is the backup point guard right now, right? You would assume that uh, Gray and Plum are going to be splitting most of the minutes there, but Peterson should have an opportunity to at least make the team. We'll see about that. Um, but yeah, until further notice, these training camp contracts are just training camp contracts. Indiana Fever, they um, have been a little busy. They brought back Erica Wheeler, uh, Fever great, on a two-year protected lower max deal. 
um, $202,000 for both years. Um, they signed Maya Caldwell, a, a player that I think we both like pretty pretty well, for one year at $68,000. I think that's a little bit above her minimum as you yeah. uh, went yeah. over at the at the top. They re-signed Victoria Vivians. Uh, Kayla Pointer, Renaya Davis, and Chelsea Perry were signed to training camp contracts. Um, let's start with the, the Erica Wheeler deal. Eric, they traded Daniel Robinson. Uh, Indiana did a little point guard swap here with Atlanta eventually. Um, what do you think about the the fit of Erica Wheeler with kind of what Indiana is building here? Um, I'm not sure how she fits. I'm not sure how she fits. I, I get it. Like, you've got a ton of cap space. You're not going to land a big free agent. So bring back a fan favorite. Bring back somebody who has excelled for your franchise previously. But how does she fit in with their current franchise trajectory? Things have changed there since the last time she was playing for the Fever. I don't know. What's her role going to be? I mean, she's obviously... She's obviously going to be starting. Like, you're not going to bring a max player off the bench. Yeah, she'll be their starting point guard. I mean, I think she is a point guard more than anything else. I don't really... I mean, I'm just not the biggest fan of Erica Wheeler's game, respectfully. Like, I just don't think she really is among the better point guards in the WNBA. But she's someone who can, you know, at least run a pick and roll. She can pass a little bit. She she doesn't kill you with turnovers, which I think... You know, the one thing for, for her game is she's pretty good turning the ball over. You know, I don't think she's a great passer, and maybe because she's not all that creative, it kind of uh, plays into her turnovers. But, you know, she can, you know, shoot some pull-up twos. Uh, she can spot up a little bit. Uh, she's going to give you some stability at the position, at least do some things that, that point guards do. But she's also not good enough to kind of stop you from getting your point guard of the future in the 2024 draft, like I think. You know, like you said, this team probably doesn't have grander cap space ambitions even next year um, with kind of everyone that that they're all the young players that they have invested in. Um, So just someone that you can kind of put in their their starting spot. You can pencil them in and not have to worry about it. I'm not a fan of this move necessarily, but, you know, maybe it's better than a third year for Marina Mabry or or someone that just isn't going to fit kind of with what what you want to do team building wise. Now, reports were that Wheeler also had mutual interest with the sun and the sky. So I'm guessing the difference would be that uh, that max contract slot. But, I mean, at this point, the baton has to be passed to Kelsey Mitchell, right? Like, this is going to be Kelsey Mitchell's team and Alyssa Smith's team and um, a mystery center from South Carolina who we will not name, um, who will be drafted at number one overall in a few months. But, yeah, I mean, I think you brought up a good point there. Like, they're not going to have any... They're not gonna have really the cap space to use on anybody else, so why not? It's not she's not gonna keep you from making the playoff. God, it sounds so wrong to say that. I really want to be respectful, you know. But I mean, I think all you need to know about how much Erica Willer is gonna bring to Indiana is that everyone who's really high in this move is talking about the intangibles that she brings and, and not a whole lot of kind of what she actually did on the court in Indiana. Fair. You know, she she just wasn't that good for them. They were a lot better when Ari McDonald was on the court. But let's move on to Ari McDonald's team, and unless you had anything else. No, wait, about... wait, wait. We, we still have to talk about uh, okay. Caldwell here. Caldwell. Um, I mean, this is a nice little flyer, I think. It's, it it's, is. It's more it... than the minimum, but again, they, they, they've they got money to spend, so why not? So she injured her foot in Israel. Um, I'm not sure the specifics of the injury because uh, Instagram translations are not that great from Hebrew. But, uh, you know, I mean, obviously the three-point shooting last season wasn't going to be sustainable, but... She earned a long, longer look at more than 68000 right? For a player who was a reserved player to get more than her minimum, 
that anytime that happens, I think it's a win for the player, to be honest. Because she had no negotiating power. She's she'll still be a reserved player next year. Um so obviously Christy Sides coming over from Atlanta liked her enough uh on, on what you know they saw from her and Atlanta, you know, was ready to move on because they could have just held on to her without any any negotiating power. So, you know, good on Atlanta for for not kind of holding on to her and kind of forcing the fever to maybe give something up or something like that and let Caldwell go to maybe a place where she had more of an opportunity, but yeah, good, good for her for kind of getting a little bit more and finding a, a home that seems to, uh, to value what she did last year. And one of the more interesting moves, I think, uh, resigning Victoria Vivians. Um, I'm really curious about the suitors that she had, Steven, you know, like if, if she really turned down better offers to stay in Indiana, you don't hear about that too often, at least those specifics there. So um, I mean, she's, as you mentioned in the previous episode, she's largely been like a high usage, low efficiency scorer over the years. And like, given her, his, her injury history, I can't imagine the offers were that much better, but geez. <laughs> like a player that we will get to momentarily, Vivian's is just somebody that I was hoping for in a new situation. Like she just soaked up so many possessions and, and did so, so inefficiently, you know, was basically one of the least efficient along with Erica Wheeler, who they just brought in one of the the least efficient kind of full-time starters in the league last year. And I just kind of wanted to see what Victoria Vivens would maybe do in a smaller role in a different ecosystem on a, team. on a better team with, you know, players that she's coming in kind of knowing that she's lower in the pecking order than uh, unfortunately a lot of good teams from last year now look like bad teams um, and, and there are just maybe less kind of highly competitive teams than there were last year that are really kind of fighting that, that can talk themselves into kind of hosting home court uh, in the playoffs in the first round. Um, How often is she going to play this year? I don't know. I mean, maybe... they've got Angsler, they've got Hall, they've got Caldwell, if she makes the team. Yeah. they she could... like Vivian's isn't going to be sharpied in as a starter, right? I, I would think not. And uh, I mean, all those players you would think should be prioritized in this team's development over Victoria Vivian's. I agree. I mean, they, they brought her back for a reason, I guess. So, Okay, moving on to Atlanta. Uh, Monique Billings returns for a one-year protected $145,000 salary. Um, Nia Coffey returns a one-year $130,000 salary. And AD signed to a training camp deal. Thoughts on Billings? I, I was personally surprised she didn't get more money and more years somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, she did finish the season injured, or or at least was injured towards the end of the year. I, I can't recall if she came back or not. But, I mean, Billings, uh, this is who I was alluding to, uh, a player who I was just kind of hoping both sides, you know, agreed that, that it was best to move on. But given where this team was last year and what the roster looked like last year, they do have a, a surprisingly low amount of, of post-depth. So, Hopefully Billings is kind of just used strictly as a backup center, you know, sort of a change of pace backup center, kind of dial up the intensity, dial up the pressure defensively, and less of a two-position player alongside Cheyenne Parker. Uh, I don't really like those lineups, and I think, you know, Billings as a center next to, even next to some of their starters, um, as maybe Parker is kind of the first player you pull from the starters and then she kind of anchors your second unit scoring and, and you kind of dial things up with uh, the rest of the starters defensively. You know, that could be something that that's pretty fun for this team. And this team's defense, they kind of fell off a cliff when Monique Billings got injured and Nas Hillman replaced her in the rotation. Their uh, opposing turnover rate really took a hit when she got hurt. So 
She does do very specific things well. She's obviously one of the best rebounders in the league. It, it's hard to have an efficient offense, of course, when, when she's in there because she's not a great finisher on the rim and she takes so many of her shots from mid-range and, and doesn't hit that many. But, you know, she's carved out a nice role for herself after, I think, not really being that effective of a player her first few years. When you mention smaller lineups, I, I think it's difficult to not mention Billings and Coffee in the same thought. Because Coffee, a lot of what she excels at is kind of similar to what you were alluding to. She's a great playmaker for her size on defense. Um, offensively, can maybe be a little up and down, but if you put Coffee at the four and Billings at the five, you can create some havoc out there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, th- those are two smaller for their position, but uh, are going to really put a lot of pressure on you, whether it's on the perimeter in Billings' case or m- maybe more at the rim in Nia Coffee's case. Uh, those two, and Ryan Howard and Alicia Gray and Ari McDonald, like, that's a really fun defensive five. And, you know, hopefully we can see that. And hopefully Nia Coffey, um, you know, last year was was a lost year after a pretty good run in L.A. and where she was really able to hit her shots and stay on the floor. Um, you know, coming off her, I think, her best season before she came to Atlanta uh, and just kind of running it back. And, you know, hopefully this year is a little bit different. Uh, moving right along to the Minnesota Lynx, signing Tiffany Mitchell for two years, protected salary at 135000 and 139000 Bringing back Bridget Carlton for one year, protected ninety one thousand, signing Lindsey Allen and Demiris Dantes to training camp contracts, and signing Nikolina Milic for one year, ninety thousand unprotected. No real big splashes here, Stephen, but some moves that I think you could interpret as as good value. Yeah, Tiffany Mitchell is another player who I was kind of hoping would go to a surefire, really good team because I I think I don't really have a good read on how much she really affects winning basketball in the WNBA. She has very specific strengths and very specific weaknesses. And those very specific strengths are not as good as other players with those very specific strengths. And those weaknesses kind of limit what those other players that are better at those things can do. You know, she, she's, well, and she also, um, sorry to cut you off there, but she's also playing on the wing for a team that already has a lot invested in wing players with Ariel powers and Kayla McBride and now Bridget Carlton. Three players that I think are better than Tiffany Mitchell. Yeah, so how much is she actually going to play? Is her role on this Minnesota team going to be significantly different than what she played in Indiana? Beside it maybe being a little better of a team? I mean, is this going to be year three of trying Ariel Powers at point guard alongside uh, a bunch of other not. wings? Like They haven't signed Mariah Jefferson yet. Maybe, maybe that's coming and uh, they can you know roll out a real point guard, but... That's oh, I apologize. They also signed this is this isn't on our notes for some reason, but they also signed Keanu Williams to a training camp contract. So I guess they're gonna have Keanu Williams and Lindsey Allen fighting. Oh, they it brought out in Stephanie this. Watts as well, didn't they? Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, I, I didn't update this for some reason. Okay, my apologies. Um, but yeah, you're gonna have Lindsey Allen and Keanu Williams competing for a starting point guard position, both on training camp contracts. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. This uh, they have Nafisa Collier, so it, it's hard to really that's cool pencil this team in as as a sure thing, bottom three, bottom four team. But you this, know, see this this strikes me as a situation where it's like, okay, we tried. Look at all these signings we made as they're counting lottery balls. You know what I mean? Yeah, and honestly, I think I probably would have rather given Tiffany Mitchell like one hundred and sixty thousand dollars for one year than protecting that second year at one hundred and forty. Um, I I just don't really see how it fits in with the the direction of the franchise, but you know, we've been wrong about these things before. So who knows? This is another one of those situations. And this is kind of what we were talking about before when you're talking about big protected salary contracts, like those powers and the Chanwell contracts are, are not looking good right now. 
Hey, just one year left though, so they can kind just of reset. One year left, that's right. Um, let's move to Seattle, uh, yep. a team that has seen some very good players leave very recently, but they did sign their uh, star defensive player of the year candidate uh, center, Ezzy Magbegor, to a two-year deal um, as a reserved player, so giving her a big pay increase. Uh, you know, before they had to, um, one hundred and fifty-nine thousand six hundred and fifty dollars this year, one hundred and fifty-five thousand next year. So. You know, a nice early payday. We'll get to that in a minute. They also signed Kia Nurse and uh, Sammy Whitcomb to near identical deals around $142,000 each year. Whitcomb's declines in that second year to $140,000. Uh, and they signed Arella Garantes and Kyla Charles to, Eric, I believe those were training camp contracts? I think so. I, I don't have any details on those, but I would be surprised if they weren't. So, uh, you know, they signed Ezzy Magbiger. They, they paid her a year early, like I said, which is nice. Um, they basically... Uh, as Richard Cohen pointed out on Twitter, gave her nearly the equivalent of her making her minimum this year and then the Supermax next year and basically just spread it out over two years where next year they, I mean, this year they basically have nothing else to do with their money. Next year, maybe they have some grander cap space ambitions. What what did you think about the signing, Eric? Well, I think it's a good it's a good bit of business uh, on both sides, really. Like it, You're right. It is really cool to see reserved players get significantly more than the minimum they can be offered because... The team has their rights. Like you're not gonna be able to negotiate with anybody else. But um, this is a very astute evaluation of their own situation, I believe, because they know that their their championship window is it, it's done. It's closed. You're not gonna sniff a championship this season. So rather than spending a lot of money and, and trying to reload and loading up your books with protected salaries, you're investing in your future. And Ezzy Magberger is going to be a significant part of that future. So they're kind of extending the olive branch early, saying, okay, you know, we're paying you a lot more than we really have to, at least this season, and we're investing in you long term. You know, she's she's going to be a a defensive stalwart for many years to come. So I really like that. I really like the signing for, for both of them, really. Yeah, I guess the one thing to me that makes it uh, a good move and not a great move is that, you know, to me, one of the reasons that you sign a very good player a year earlier than, than you really have to is, you know, to kind of secure team control during that player's unrestricted free agency years when, when the, the market for them is going to be much more robust. Um, like we said, she's a reserved player this year. We, we brought up a couple of times, like how hard restricted free agents have had kind of getting a big contract from other teams. Like there just hasn't been that much external leverage for restricted free agents over the last you know, three off seasons, basically, at least, um, you know, for them to kind of sign this deal, give her this big pay raise. It's very nice. I understand, you know, why they had a decline and, and spread out the money over two years, but she's still going to become an unrestricted free agent at the same time she would have. And I think I just would have liked this one a little bit more with maybe a, a third year, even if it was a little bit more money each of those three years. Because they're probably not going to be competing for a championship next year either, right? I mean, who knows? I think Seattle is kind of, you know, in terms of the markets that don't have, you know, Liberty money or Aces money, they're probably the the premier franchise in kind of that second tier. You know, That's true. Of, people of like, do want to play there. Yeah. yeah, people want to play there more so than I think kind of like Seattle as a city is not kind of considered a, a premium market in, in sports. I was going to say, you, you could say they want to play in Seattle more than Chicago. Like, I, my feelings would not be hurt. Well, I'm just saying in sports generally, like nobody looks at Seattle as like, you know, a, a sure, big time sure, market basically. Sure. But I think in the WNBA, it, it has a little bit more um, cachet to it than in other leagues. 
What did you think about their other signings, Kia Nurse and Sammy Whitcomb? I mean, Whitcomb's old. <laughs> she, there, there's no two ways about that. And Nurse is coming off, you know, a season pretty much lost to injury. Uh, no, I, I mean, I think I'm okay with them, personally, looking at how Seattle is, you know, their, their championship window and their trajectory and all those terms we like to throw out there when we're talking about this stuff. They're, they're not investing. They're not over-investing in these players, I don't think. Yeah, Kia, Kia Nurse, I think, getting a pretty good contract after not playing at all last year, you know, when some of these players are below 100000 or signing training camp contracts. It's protected. And it's protected for both years. A little surprising to me, but if she's as good as she was for Phoenix during their their finals run, you know, maybe that, that'll turn out to be, she'll be a, a pretty positive contributor for them. Uh, Whitcomb, uh, my, my wife is very disappointed. Sammy Whitcomb's her favorite <laughs> player. She'll be uh, not having as much fun at Barclays Center this year, but Definitely a player that, you know, I really like. I, I like what she does on the court. Um, I think she was miscast a little bit as kind of a backup point guard. Uh, a second She's one of the more underrated players in the league, I would yeah, say. Yeah, I agree. But, you know, she is up there in age. And, you know, good for her for kind of going back to a place that, that she really enjoyed playing. And um, seems like she's going to be kind of a, a third wing type of player, which, you know, fits her pretty well, I think. And uh, Garantes and Charles, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty ambivalent on both of these moves, honestly. Um, decent flyers, sure, they're fine. Decent flyers, no risk. Uh, I think I'm a little higher on Garantes than I am at Charles. They both play basically the same position, though, as and as well as Nurse. So Seattle, no moves made for a point guard yet, which is surprising. Yeah, I don't know. Hey, maybe, maybe like not even like not even a placeholder. Not even a training camp contract, really. Um, no. I, I I don't really know what they plan on doing at the one there. You know, maybe Mariah Jefferson is still. You know, an option that they're looking at. Maybe they'll bring back Jordan Canada, but they got to do something because they they don't have a point guard. Maybe hey, maybe no. Sammy Wickham. Maybe uh, <laughs> they they really liked what Sandy Brandello did. Maybe it'll Wickham work better position. for them. Maybe it'll work better for them. Okay, we're almost done here. Promise. Uh, last team we're talking about is Phoenix. Not a heck of a lot going on here. Sophie Cunningham brought back for two years, protected one hundred fifty thousand and one hundred fifty four thousand. Um, signing Megan Gustafson for one year, and signing Sam Thomas to a training camp contract. Um, Cunningham kind of seemed like a no-brainer. I mean, right? look, it's it's a little annoying that Sophie Cunningham is like the one three and D player that actually like got money this offseason. You know, yeah, the, the least likable yeah. player in the league in many ways. There are players that I think do what she does equally well, and their value is extremely um, suppressed this offseason. But you know, we all know how much Phoenix uh, is invested in Sophie. Cunningham. They love Sophie Cunningham down they there. Do. They love uh, her, and so. she she is good at what she does. She's not a bad basketball player, unfortunately for you know, her, her politics and everything else. But um, the other two training camp contracts, Gustafson, she's certainly earned a shot at kind of sticking around the league. I don't necessarily think she fits with this team if they end up bringing back their star players in Tarasi and Brittany Griner, of course, you know, as another kind of low post paint bound center. But hey, she's she's absolutely dominating in EuroLeague. She had some nice stretches last year. So I hope she sticks around. And she's got a great dog. She's got a great dog. We love pancake, right? Well, you know, I'm more of a cat person, but... Oh, that's right. Okay. Okay, so we're done with our team-by-team rundowns, uh, but a couple other, you know, miscellaneous things that we need to talk about. Ellie Quigley sitting out the season. So not signing with the same team Vandersloot signed with, not being hired as an assistant coach with the team Vandersloot signed with, but sitting out the season. And not officially retiring. No. Um, even though this would be her age 37 season. So if she returns in 2024, it will be for her age 38 season. Um you know, she, 
I thought she was really good for most of last year. She obviously had a very rough playoffs, and uh, that's what people are going to remember, unfortunately. That, yeah, which is too bad. You know, she's a legend, arguably, you know, the greatest shooter in league history. Um, maybe we'll see her again. Who knows? I'm I'm not counting on it. I think this might be the end for Ellie quickly, but yeah, neither am I. Um, you know, heck of a run for sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, in other news, um, former Dallas Wing center Bella Allery uh, had initially been suspended for the season and then uh, the next day announced that she was retiring. We never begrudge any player, of course, for making the decision that, that's best to them. And I think it's in some ways quite a, a bold decision for a player of her caliber to, you know, instead of kind of, as uh, uh, others have said, just kind of going through the motions and, and making a lot of money playing this game when her heart wasn't really into it. Um, you know, walking away and kind of exploring another chapter in her life when she she had at least another 10 years kind of doing what she was doing overseas, I think. The first thing when I, I see a premature retirement like this is I hope she's good. I hope she's taking care of herself mentally because uh, one thing I think, you know, maybe go, falls by the wayside when we're watching these professional athletes, particularly in athletic families. Remember, she's she's the daughter of a former professional basketball player. And there is a lot of pressure. I obviously cannot speak to this at all because I don't have an athletic bone in my body. But uh, <laughs> through the grapevine, I've, I've, I've understood how much pressure it is, how much pressure um, the air of a professional athlete can be. Um, so, yeah, so, so good for her for making this decision. Uh, I wish her the best. Um, can do a lot worse than a Princeton education. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, best wishes to Bella Allery. So we can just wrap up quickly by kind of just kind of going through, you know, what we're still waiting to to unfold here. Um, I think the most important thing kind of league wide is just what is going to happen with these New York Liberty signings, what kind of uh, contract Vandersloot and Stewart are um, are going to, you know, come to terms on um, if there's going to be a signing trade needed to to move some really big salaries that New York has in the books, whether that's Benajelani or, or Stephanie Dolson or someone else uh, in order to accommodate you know, these two superstar players, um, and for New York as well, you know, they're international players coming over, um, with Hanju, uh, you know, the Chinese. Can we just say, can we just say all international players? Yeah, I guess that that's true. We still don't know regards for most um, of them, but I, I do think kind of, uh, the French players and, and Chinese players, um, their countries for different reasons, of course, can be, uh, players of, of those national origins can be a little bit less reliable in terms of coming over to the WNBA than, than, you know, Australian players or something like that. You know, Australian players usually show up for the WNBA. Which is which is not their fault, of course. We're not saying that those players specifically are unreliable. It's, you know, different, different politics, different national team policies. You know, there are always international tournaments going on that their respective national teams might want them to stay home and prepare for. So it's a situation where, like, if they show up in the WNBA, hey, that's awesome. If they can't, okay, hopefully see you next year, right? Exactly. Thank you for, for clarifying that. I, I 100% agree. Um, some resolution on the Tip Hayes situation. You'll remember Tip Hayes uh, left Atlanta towards the end of last season to compete in a three-on-three tournament for um, Azerbaijan, which resulted in her losing uh, her unrestricted free agency this year and now is a suspended contract, um, uh, suspended expired contract player, meaning Atlanta has an exclusive negotiating rights for Tiffany Hayes, which could suppress her her market elsewhere, or that's so weird. Atlanta could, um, of course, just you know tell Hayes to to go negotiate where she wants and and either demand something in return as in a trade or just kind of release her rights and let her sign where she wants. So we'll see kind of what unfolds there. Uh, Marina Mabry and Mariah Jefferson are kind of the two premier 
position players that are just completely unsigned uh, with no sort of rights to them. Marina Mabry, of course, restricted and, and Mariah Jefferson unrestricted. But two of the higher level contributors, I think, left out on, on the free agent market. Uh, waiting for Phoenix to, obviously, the Brittany Griner situation, you know, she's thankfully home safe and has expressed that she wants to play basketball. But there's a lot of other things involved in that, including hopefully uh, introducing chartered flights for this upcoming season. Diana Taurasi is, she's not going anywhere. She's going to sign there no. if, she, if she plays in, in 2023. <laughs> Bree Jones, as you had mentioned, uh, has not signed her core qualifying offer or uh, another contract of another type for either longer and less money or maybe the full max for for as long as she can sign. And then Tina Charles, really quiet on the Tina Charles front. No real whispers at all, I feel like. And that's an interesting one to me because you would think if her her previous decisions, uh, her previous signings are of any indication, she's going to want to try to win a championship. Um, but you look at the teams that are going to realistically be championship contenders and there's really no room for her, right? Yeah, I don't think she'll want to come back to New York. Vegas, I think I think they're good now. You know, they got yeah, they're, they're Parker. <laughs> I don't think there's really any room for Tina Charles in the rotation. So I don't know. Who knows what Tina Charles is going to do? Maybe she sticks in Seattle. Um, you know, maybe... Minnesota has been one that's kind of floated out there. Maybe now she can finally get to play with Brittany Griner, which I know was a huge point of her signing in Phoenix, but something tells me oh, she's not going yeah. back there. You know, uh, it feels like there's a lot of bridges burned for Tina Charles, and then the rest are just not really good opportunities for her. Well, we'll see what she decides. Uh, and the one thing I wanted to comment on is, is Marina Mabry, because that is a one of the restricted free agents who I think could get offer sheets from someone else. And I'm honestly, I'm surprised that she just hasn't signed anywhere yet. The, the Wings do have the option to match if she is restricted, obviously. And I don't have an official source on this, but she doesn't, it doesn't sound like she's in the Wings' long-term plans. You know, I, I mean, given a, how quickly they signed Tier McCowan, basically yeah, as soon as they could. And who was also restricted, right? They were so, in the same exact boat. Yeah, one thing I'm, I'm interested in seeing is how much Mabry eventually gets paid compared to what McCowan is getting paid by Dallas. So, I don't. I mean, what are the potential outcomes here? She gets an offer sheet from somewhere else, Dallas matches, then she requests the trade? I mean, I or... guess the other outcome is it kind of uh, unfolds like a, a Jordan Canada situation where there's just no suitors, but she's not in Dallas's plans, and they just withdraw their qualifying offer. She becomes a, an unrestricted free agent, and she can sign wherever she wants. I mean, she, she's like one of the best free agents left on the market. So, I mean, who, who needs a point guard right now? Seattle? Minnesota? Is she a point guard? I mean, Chicago. Yeah, Chicago. Yeah. So yeah, we'll see where Marina Baby goes. All right, I think that'll do it for us. Um, yep. Thank you all for listening. If you want to support the show, which we always appreciate, you can do so by following, rating, and reviewing on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. You can follow the show on Twitter at Double Down WNBA. You can follow Eric at Nimchak E or myself at Trinkwald, and. Probably won't record next week. It seems like we're basically out of free agent news, but maybe there'll be enough for us to record. And if not, we'll probably be back in a couple weeks with uh, who knows. Okay. Thank you so much, everybody. Really appreciate you.